Welcome to The Angle from T. Rowe Price. Sharper insights on the forces shaping financial markets begin here. In this inaugural season of The Angle, we're diving into the world of the blue economy. I'm Nick Truman, and I'm your host as we learn more about this intriguing and rapidly evolving area of the economy and financial markets. In the series so far, we've had an introduction to the blue economy, learning about what it is and the threats and challenges it faces. One current challenge is the return of El Nino, which is the focus of today's episode. Today, we'll be looking at how this weather phenomenon impacts water resources and more broadly, changing climate conditions in emerging markets. My guests today are Aaron Gifford and Willem Visser. Aaron is a sovereign research analyst and team leader in the fixed income team at T. Rowe Price Associates. He makes regular visits to Latin America as part of his research, meeting policymakers, central bankers, and many others to see what's happening on the ground. Willem is an associate fixed income portfolio manager with a particular specialization in sustainable and impact investing. He has a wealth of investment experience and has undertaken several research projects looking at risks in and to emerging markets, such as permafrost melting and rising temperatures. Welcome, Aaron and Willem. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Nick, so much for having me on. Thank you, Nick. Really looking forward to the discussions coming up. Aaron, some of us have heard more about El Nino. Perhaps you can explain what it is and why why we should all be interested in it. Um, So really, in its most basic form, El Nino is a naturally occurring weather phenomenon um, where sea surface temperatures, um, typically measured near the equator in the Pacific Ocean, tend to be warmer than normal. Um, it's part of what's called the ENSO cycle, ENSO standing for El Nino Southern, Southern Oscillation. And El Nino typically occurs every two to seven years and lasts for about a year or so on average. Uh, the cooler phase of the ENSO cycle is what's called La Nina. Um, a bit of a fun fact, so El, El Nino was originally discovered by Peruvian fishermen a couple centuries ago. Um, back then, the fishermen um, would typically find every now and then that um, their catch was significantly diminished um, because of the warm water um, just off their shores, um, and particularly because they weren't able to receive that cold nutrients from deep in the sea. Um, they named the phenomenon El Nino, which in this case means Christ child, uh, given the time of year that it typically appeared, which was um, around Christmas time. Aaron, can you help us understand how it's impacting emerging markets and what challenges does it pose for development? The reason El Nino is so important is that it disrupts ocean temperatures and weather patterns that can negatively impact everything from major fisheries off the coast of Peru, as as I just mentioned, um, to crop yields in places like Asia and Africa, and to economic growth and inflation around the globe. And I would add this time, it's coming on the back of record temperatures worldwide, which is just um, you know magnifying the effect. Um, this El Nino has been less severe than what we've seen in previous large episodes, such as from 2014 to 2016, um, as well as the late 90s or early 80s. Um, however, many organizations like the WMO, for example, still categorize the event as strong. Just to give you a flavor of what we've seen so far from the current El Nino, I'd highlight that part of South America has seen torrential rainfall and flooding, uh, while others have experienced drought. Um, Some of the Andean countries, for example, declared a state of emergency last year due to the destruction that they experienced. 
in parts of Asia, dry spells have also impacted crop production and even led to export restrictions of food staples um, in one of the largest um, economies in the region. There are a lot of moving parts, but I'm sure we'll dig into many of them during this podcast. So this really shows the, the global impact. You've talked about Latin America, you've talked about Southeast Asia, uh, perhaps one for Willem. So what are the potential knock-on macro implications from, from extreme weather episodes? Thank you, Nick. Actually, we're currently facing um, such a knock-on macro effect from the extreme weather, from actually an unexpected corner being the Panama Canal. So in Panama, El Nino typically triggers dry spells. And this caused this year insufficient rainfall. And this combined with hotter than average temperatures has led to a higher degree of evaporation of its lakes. And this in turn triggers lower water levels that flow into the Panama Canal, this canal we use for global trade. As a result, we've seen that the average number of daily ships passing through the canal have dropped from 37 to the mid-20s. This has not only created um, long wait times, but according to Waypoint Port Services, passing slots or tickets to sail through the canal have, have gone up as high as $4 million per ticket versus $173,000 it was last year. So this really has a knock-on effect on inflation. We can see that the strongest El Ninos tend to have coincided with higher than global average temperature changes. 2023 was the hottest year on record, with temperatures 1.4 degrees above the pre-industrial average. El Nino is expected to remain strong and trigger more extreme weather events. Willem, perhaps you can go into a bit more detail on, on what the impacts are. What are the things being observed? The impact of these events become very visible through the disruption of um, in agriculture and into the mining industry. If we look at um, the agriculture industry, dry spells can lead to bad harvests, lower crop yields. A reduction in crops pushes up prices with the biggest impact to those countries where food actually represents a large proportion of the CPI or inflation basket. And this especially happens in sub-Saharan African countries. The world has already had to deal with plenty of inflation since the coronavirus pandemic, and El Nino can make it worse. At the minimum, we've seen that several central banks, particularly in emerging markets, highlight the threat of El Nino for their inflation outlooks, meaning that interest rates could take longer to come down than what's justified by the softening GDP growth. Speaking about uh, the mining industry, heavy rainfalls and floods can also disrupt their supply chain. Any mine closures can lead to a high hit on growth um, in major producing countries such as Chile or Peru. And they can cause an increase in commodity prices with a knock-on effect that further uh, tickles down the supply chain. We've talked generally about where El Nino has its its impact. And then we've had one specific example in, in Panama. But uh, Aaron, perhaps you could just dive into a little bit more detail on which, which countries are most exposed to El Nino. So I would say Latin America is probably front and center when it comes to El Nino. You know, Willem did mention um, the likes of Panama. I would, you know, include as well the likes of Peru and Chile, um, both of which declared a state of emergency um, last year due to a localized El Nino event. Um, Ecuador, uh, for example, is also very vulnerable. 
with some estimates of potential damages in a moderate to severe El Nino scenario totaling, you know, a few billion dollars. That's quite a bit considering the country's GDP is just north of 100 billion. Um, and it also comes at a time when the country has had little room to maneuver um, given its significant fiscal and debt issues. Um, Colombia, which shares a border with Ecuador and Peru, is also negatively exposed. Um, but I'd highlight here that it tends to experience um, periods of drought instead of flooding during El Nino episodes. This is problematic for the country's agricultural and energy sectors, um, particularly hydroelectricity, which Colombia relies on for some two-thirds of its energy needs. The current El Nino hasn't had the same kind of inflationary impact that Colombia experienced back uh, during the 2014 and 2016 episode. Um, but I would say that the risks are still front and center for the country's uh, central bank that has already had to increase interest rates to historically high levels, um, you know, to fend off the existing uh, pressures that, that they've already been facing. Another part of the world that is particularly vulnerable to El Nino is the Indo-Pacific. Um, in India, for example, an uneven and irregular monsoon season has caused inconsistent food supply, has pushed up inflation in key agricultural goods. Um, it's also notable that the country decided late last year to ban exports of rice to protect domestic consumption. That has had negative knock-on effects for other countries in the region, such as the Philippines. Uh, meanwhile, you've seen a prolonged dry season in places like Indonesia and even major forest fires in Australia. You mentioned Australia there. Is there any distinction between how developed countries respond to El Nino effects? Now, I think it is important to highlight that the level of development of a country is directly related to its ability to withstand the effects of El Nino and climate change in general. Um, so while the developed world will be able to stand on its own two feet at the end of the day, um, reality couldn't be any more different for, let's say, poor and low-income countries. Um, just looking at recent events in Somalia, for example, Ethiopia, um, we've seen hundreds of thousands of people that have been um, displaced by El Nino, um, even as those countries are already dealing with their own you know, set of humanitarian crises such as hunger and disease. So really there are a confluence of factors, I would say, that need to be taken into account. Um, but by and large, El Nino is a serious threat to many places and, and people in the world. Well, we've heard that El Nino's associated with some real challenges, uh, some negative impacts, but I understand that there are some potential benefactors from an El Nino phenomenon. Uh, Willem, perhaps that you can discuss some of the, the potential benefits or, or areas and parts of the world that do benefit in an El Nino year. Absolutely. You touch upon an important point here, Nick. I think that's really important not to forget that there are countries that actually benefit from El Nino. These include countries that are susceptible to droughts, but experience greater periods of rainfall and are commodity producing countries. A great example in this case would be Argentina. Argentina just experienced a historic drought um, and with the relief of the, ex of the rainfall, uh, which is obviously very welcome, has led to leading um, record soybean production. This is especially important given the challenging macroeconomic environment the country is facing, including depleted foreign currency reserves. Another example to think of is southern US and northern Mexico. Both regions, again, are susceptible to droughts, but El Nino brings increased rainfall, which does not only benefit the growing of limes, avocado crops in, in California, but also the rainfall triggers diminished tornado activity in the Midwest, sparing potential hits to GDP growth. Similarly, in Mexico, 
plentiful rain reduces the number of hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico, which brings stability to the offshore oil industry and boosts exports. Fewer hurricanes is also important for the small island nations of the Caribbean. So maybe some anecdotal evidence. Um, one of my last trips to Chile late last year, I experienced firsthand that El Nino can bring unseasonably wet weather to the country. I know we covered this in another episode about water stress, but it's important to know that 23% of the Chilean installed uh, power generating capacity is hydropower. And El Nino provides rain and snow, which keeps the reserves and the water currents adequate for power generation. So this sector really benefits from, from a lot of rain and snow to the country. So important to note that there are both uh, potential winners and losers from El Nino. But in the wider context of climate change, almost all countries are likely to face challenges. El Nino comes against a backdrop of rising temperatures due to climate change. How are emerging markets adapting to the challenges? Aaron, do you want to kick us off here? Yeah, sure. So I would say that climate change is an ongoing struggle for many emerging markets. And, you know, as I mentioned before, the less developed the country, the more vulnerable it is to extreme weather events. Um, the World Bank, for example, has highlighted that tens of millions of predominantly poor EM citizens could face extreme negative outcomes due to climate change. And this includes food and water security and even forced displacement and mass migration. Um, so there's an ongoing global effort uh, to deal with these issues, many of which have been highlighted during the recent uh, COP28 meetings um, held in Dubai, for example. Aaron, you mentioned COP28. Uh, for our listeners, perhaps you could just spend... 30 seconds describing what COP28 is. Yeah, absolutely. So COP28 was the 28th meeting in a series of meetings among global policymakers, um, the private sector, public sector, official sector. Um, this one in particular was held in Dubai uh, just recently. And, you know, lots of things were discussed among, you know, many climate change and, and how um, emerging markets and low-income countries are exposed, as we've been talking about on this podcast. Thanks, Aaron, for that explanation. Can you delve back into what developing countries can potentially do to help adapt to climate change? Um, in terms of what developing nations can do to adapt to the effects of climate change, I think there are several options. Um, first and foremost, emergency preparedness is key. Um, very powerful early warning systems um, have been developed, which governments should take full advantage of. I would also add upgrading poor infrastructure and and addressing vulnerabilities in the agricultural, transportation, and energy sectors are also very important. Um, this could include anything from more sustainable irrigation practices to using drought-resistant crops um, to implementing a more robust food storage and distribution strategy. Um, on the energy side, a diversification of resources with a focus on renewable energy would also go a long way. Of course, the large majority of this requires financing. And um, as many of us know, um, emerging markets and especially low-income countries are ill-prepared to foot the bill. This is why a coordinated global effort across the public, private, and official sectors is so important. We've already seen innovations um, in climate finance to channel resources toward mitigation adaptation strategies, um, whether you know through the public or even the private markets. Uh, many programs for multilateral organizations are also in place to help countries in need, whether that's food assistance or special facilities to obtain emergency funds. That's fascinating. Have you got any examples that you can share? 
I think one success story we should highlight in the context of climate change is, once again, Chile. Um, you know, this is a very uh, diverse country with glaciers in the south and the vast Atacama Desert in the north. Um, the country, for example, was one of the first ones globally to launch an ESG financing strategy um, with a variety of green, social, sustainable, and sustainability-linked bonds. Um, with those proceeds, you know, going toward everything from lowering greenhouse gas emissions to um, important projects in the transportation and energy sectors. Um, on a very practical basis, you have even seen a shift in the government's approach to water stress um, with the development of several desalination plants to reduce the mining sector's reliance on fresh water. Um, this is an important advancement um, in a country that is frequently dealing with drought. There are several examples of countries making a successful effort in tackling climate change. And I think with the current El Nino phenomenon and record temperatures around the globe, um, those efforts will just continue to gather pace. That brings an end to today's session. Uh, I want to thank Willem and Aaron for your input on the El Nino episode. Thank you very much. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you, Nick. The key takeaway for me is that El Nino exacerbates already changing climate patterns, which poses risks for emerging markets and their water resources. There's a growing tension between human consumption in parts of the world where the population continues to grow and companies that also rely on water for many of their processes. Looking ahead to the rest of the season, we'll feature a look at another emerging challenge facing the blue economy, which is water stress in Latin America. Thank you for listening to The Angle. We look forward to your company on future episodes in this season. This podcast is for general information and educational purposes only, and outside the United States is intended for investment professional use only. It does not constitute a distribution, offer, invitation, recommendation, or solicitation to sell or buy any securities in any jurisdiction or to conduct any particular investment activity. This podcast does not provide investment advice or recommendations, nor is it intended to serve as the primary basis for an investment decision. Prospective investors are recommended to seek independent legal, financial, and tax advice before making any investment decision. The views contained herein are those of the speakers as of the date of the recording and are subject to change without notice. These views may differ from those of other T. Rowe Price companies and or associates. Information is based upon sources we consider to be reliable. We do not, however, guarantee accuracy. International investments can be riskier than U.S. investments due to the adverse effects of currency exchange rates differences in market structure and liquidity, as well as specific country, regional, and economic developments. These risks are generally greater for emerging markets. Bonds are subject to credit risk, liquidity risk, call risk, and interest rate risk. As interest rates rise, bond prices generally fall. There is no assurance that any positive environmental or social outcome will be achieved. There is no guarantee that any forecasts made will come to pass. This podcast is copyright 2024 by T. Rowe Price.